Last weekend, or last week, last Sunday was Father's Day, and I feel like a lot of times pastors don't really give enough attention to uh, Father's Day. You know, Mother Mother's Day is pretty important. You know, we don't we don't dare miss that. But a lot of times, I think the uh, the fathers get the short shrift. So what I'm doing today is uh, extending Father's Day. This is this is Father's Day sermon part two. And um, according to the uh, National Fatherhood Initiative, which is a uh, non-government, non-profit organization, there's a crisis in America. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, and that's more than one in four, live without a father in the home. And consequently, there's a father factor in nearly all the societal ills facing our country today. And research shows that a child that is raised in a father-absent home is affected in the following ways. This, this child is four times, has a four times greater risk of poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face, uh, face abuse and neglect, two times greater risk for uh, infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school. So we have a fatherhood crisis. And during this time when uh, the very definition of of marriage is being challenged and really turned on its head in our society, and the biblical family structure is uh, increasingly seen as as a relic of a, a bygone era, as men who have been redeemed, men in Christ's church, fathers, we need to realize that it's up to us to uphold the standard of spiritual living in line with God's expectations. And so I'd like to speak this morning to, uh, to the fathers. We're going to be going through uh, Psalm 1, which of course applies to all of us, but I'd really like to focus on the fathers Psalm 1 is a psalm that is classified as a a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm that contains godly wisdom for how we should live our lives. So read with me. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of or the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so you might ask, well, what what does this have to do with Father's Day? And I guess that would be a a good question. You know, I would would contend that uh, biblical fatherhood is based on godly wisdom. 
godly living. It's, it's based on living in proper relationship with God, living a life of integrity, a life of uh, living by God's word. Biblical fatherhood is, is being present in the lives of our children in a way that models a proper relationship with God. So Psalm 1 gives us a picture of the life of a godly man. Now, the, uh, the man in this psalm is described as, as blessed. We, we talked about this uh, pretty recently, I think as recent as last week. Blessed, this word in, in Hebrew means happy, means happy. The, the word is used throughout the psalms. It's used in the Proverbs to describe a person who fears the Lord. It's used variously to describe a person who takes refuge in, the, in him. You know, blessed are these people. Blessed are he who is he who has his sins forgiven. Blessed is he who has wisdom, has understanding, who has his quiver full of arrows, meaning children. Our, our pastor in Montana, he, he and his wife had ten children, and uh, they're <laughs> they're uh, they're they they had some property with uh, you know pretty big house and in a barn and forty acres and. The, they called it the uh, Ten Arrow Ranch, based on based on that. Proverbs twenty seven uses this word to describe a, a man of integrity. It says, "The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children." So this this happiness, this blessing, is passed on to his children. Now the word "blessed" used here in Psalm one is. It's in the plural. It's, it's a noun. Uh, it, this, the Psalm 1 man has multiple blessings. It could be translated, and I'm making this up, the blessednesses of the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked and, and so forth. The blessednesses. In other words, there are many, many reasons for this man to be happy, to be happy from the Lord. He's, he's blessed because things are right with him. He, he lives a life in the fullness of God. And the psalm is going to describe this rightness and, and blessedness. Now, I'd like, to, I'd like for us to see three things in this psalm. First, the psalm one man is right with God. Second, he benefits from this rightness with God. And third, he's uh, contrasted with the ungodly. So the Psalm 1 man is, is right with God. You know, the psalmist first illustrates this rightness in the negative. He, he describes this Psalm 1 man as what he is not. He does not pattern his life after the ungodly, but he follows God's plan. Now, the first verse has three verbs in it. Walk, sit, and stand. You know, these are three postures of, that, that imply three different aspects of the uh, godly life. Look what it says. Blessed is the man first who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Walks not in the counsel of the wicked. This man does not take advice from the ungodly person. He does not pattern his life after the ungodly, but he follows God's plan. 
who are these people, the, the, the wicked? You know, throughout the Psalms, we get a, a really good picture of who they are. They're talked about a lot. In the uh, Psalms, the Hebrew word reshayim describes people who are, are proud, people who, are, who live as if there is no God, you know, practical atheists, people who hate God's commands, people who commit sinful deeds, people who speak lies and slanders and, and cheat others. This is how throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs this person is, is described. The Psalm 1 man does not take his advice does not take counsel from this type of person. You know, how, how can someone who is not following God, a person who's rebelling against God, give us good advice? Tell us how we should live. You know, that, their advice would not be life-giving advice, not be life-giving counsel. You know, dads, you know what it's like when you see your kids taking advice and hanging out with the, the wrong sort of people and, and making mistakes as a result. You know, the thing is, it's just not good to take directions from uh, someone who's lost. Now, the, uh, the, there's a publication called The Guardian that uh, published an article which, which illustrates this. It's called Death by GPS. And this, this article gives a p- accounts of people who, who follow the advice of their GPS. Actually, there are accounts of people driving off cliffs. There are accounts of people driving into lakes and, and rivers because they followed the bad advice of, of GPS. They've followed their GPS in, into oceans. They, they've followed GPS into uh, deep deserts. They've gotten lost. Our, our son and our son-in-law and daughter, who live in Germany, ended out ended up in the middle of a cornfield following their GPS. <laughs> Psalm one says that this man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Yes, what does what does walking mean? You know, it, it implies our our day-to-day life as we take each step, moment by moment. You know, it, it, it talks about the decisions we make, the directions that we take. You know, we don't base our decisions and our directions on advice that you might get from someone who has no knowledge of God and has no knowledge of God's ways. Now, there are plenty of people who will be glad to tell you how to live the ungodly life. Uh, uh, that kind of advice abounds. They'll tell you how we need to put our needs above everybody else's, how to, how to sin against God in many creative ways. But you know, these, these people will walk you right off the cliff in, into the ocean. So the man, the Psalm 1 man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Second, he does not stand in the way of the sinners. Notice that there is a, a progression here. One who stands in the way of sinners has, has gone beyond receiving bad advice on the decisions he should make. He's, he's beyond that. He's, he's taken hold of that bad advice. and he's, he's made it his own. He owns it now. He's applied it to his life. This person has decided to uh, 
take his place and number himself among the ungodly, the sinners. You know, it's, it's evolved from shall I do this or that to yes, I will do this or that. And here I take my stand. The Psalm 1 man does not identify with these people. He does not take his identity from them. You know, he does not take their position if their opinion is, is contrary to God's word and, and to God's will. Now, refusing to take your stand among sinners might make you unpopular. You know, people might brand you as being narrow or, or even bigoted or, or hateful. You know, we can, we can draw some good examples from our uh, current moral environment. You know, our dis, our, uh, I, like I said earlier, our government has decided to redefine marriage. Uh, you know, a, a vast number of our fellow citizens have taken a stand on this matter. They've taken a stand that the institution of marriage that God created from the beginning means something different. They've taken a stand with those who are rebelling against God in, in this area. You know, they've, they've decided to, to number themselves among those who demand affirmation of a sinful lifestyle. You know, our, our government has decided that unborn people have no constitutional right to live. You know, the sad thing is I know several people who attend churches who have taken a firm stand that it's okay to kill a baby in the womb. You know, these are, these are not political issues. These are, these are God issues. These are, these are theological issues. And, you know, there, there are many other, many other ways, many less obvious, subtle ways for us to uh, stand in the, uh, the way of sinners. You know, if we adopt sinful attitudes and, and behaviors, we become people who stand against God. Finally, the psalm man does not sit in the seat of scoffers. You know, again, notice this progression. First walking, then standing, and then sitting. You know, the person who sits in the seat of the scoffers is the person who has become thoroughly entrenched in a society that blatantly mocks God and scoffs it at those who, who follow him. You know, they, they've rejected the idea that God should have any part of their lives. They perhaps reject the idea that there even is a God. Chris and I became friends when we lived in Longview, Texas with this man named Mike. We met him on a walk. Mike claims to be an atheist, and he was, he was brought up in a church. He was brought up in a, in a fundamentalist family, a fundamentalist church, which did not model Christ's love and grace, but they actually modeled hate and, and pride. Uh, they, they were abusive. Um, they, did not, they did not do a good job. They, they caused a lot of damage to Mike, and he blames them for his upbringing and for his rejection of God. He cannot see past those who are supposed to be Christ-like but serve to turn him away instead. And now Mike scoffs at Christians. He's bitter. Uh, his wife's a believer. 
we pray for her. We pray for Mike as well. You know, Mike essentially shakes his, his fist at God. He, he sits in the seat of the scoffer. You know, it's his, it's his throne of pride. It's his throne of arrogance and, and rebellion against God. You know, some of us might have family members or good friends who sit in the seat of the scoffer. We do, and it, and it breaks our hearts. You know, we need to commit these people to the Lord and, and pray. Pray that God would remove the, uh, the blinders. Well, we pointed out that there's a progression from walking to standing to sitting. You know, we might also here see a progression in, in the people, you know, from people who don't know God or live like they don't, who transgress against him to those who utterly reject and, and scoff at him. You see this progression. So the psalmist has described the blessed man in negative terms in verse 1. This is what he is. This is what he is not. He isn't like these other people. He doesn't take their advice. He, he doesn't count himself among them. He has not taken their position. Well, the next verse is, is more positive. He puts it into positive terms. It uses this, this conjunction, but. This is, this is a word of, of contrast. You know, this is what this person is not like, but now we're going to see what he is. The one who's blessed, his delight, it says, is in the law of the Lord. He, he takes his joy in the, the Torah, which is the, the direction and the, the instruction of God. This man loves God's word. He delights in how God reveals himself in his, in his word. He, he wants to know God. He wants to know what pleases God. He wants to live according to God's way. Where does he get his counsel? The contrast here is he gets his counsel from God's instruction. Where does he take his stand? Instead of sinners, he he takes his stand with with God himself and with God's people. He, He takes his stand on God's word. Where does he sit? Where is he firmly entrenched? Again, in, in God's word, it says he, he meditates on God's word day and night. Day and night. You know, that, that doesn't really leave any time where he's not meditating on God's word, does it? Thinking about God. Communing with God. Dwelling on God's word. Living in God's word and praying through that word. Day and night. Is... Is this possible? Is, is this hyperbole? Is, you know, or can we do that? Can we do that all the time, day and night? You know, it kind of seems to me that it is. You know, this goes along with Paul's instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, where Paul says something similar. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, this, this has to do with our thought life. What, what kinds of things occupy our minds? What kind of things occupy our minds? It's really the things that we're into, right? The things that are important to us, the things that we enjoy. 
you know, the, the things that we delight in. Now, I had, I had a friend that, that told me, well, we were talking about this. He said, well, you, you know, we can't just sit on a rock or a mountain somewhere and sit and meditate. And, you know, uh, you, you won't have a, a very useful life if you do that. Well, that is true. We don't retreat from life. But, you know, in every moment we live, to, we need to constantly dwell consciously in God's presence. You know, as we, as we go, through, go about our day and do each thing. You know, knowing that God is with us. You know, there's really, I don't believe there's such a thing as a healthy once a week Christian or a, or a once a month Christian. You know, uh, okay, I read my Bible. I, I said my prayers. Now let's get on with life. You know, the psalmist here says day and night, day and night. He's into God's word, hearing from God, meditating on it, deriving life from God's word, communing with, with him. And, uh, you know, this, this reminds me again of the Shema. We, we see this guy when we, when we see the Shema. Remember, we talked about this last couple weeks ago for Mother's Day, when, when it was Mother's Day. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Let me read this again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You see this walk, stand, sit. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your hand, of your house, excuse me, and on your gates. You know, so this, this applies to fathers. It applies to all parents, mothers too. We, you know, Jesus quoted this first part as, as the great commandment, right? The second part has to do with how we live this out. And that's what this psalm is talking about. You know, it's talking about the preeminence of, the preeminence of God is we live day to day, the preeminence of, of God's word in our, our hearts and our minds. You know, we see how important God's word is as we, as we walk, as we stand, as we sit. You know, it's not important only to us, but it's important to our children as well, as we see in the Shema. This is good fathering. This is good parenting. You know, this is what God expects of us as parents. You know, dads, know God's word. Know God's word. Know the Bible so that you know how to give advice and counsel to your children. Teach it to them so that they know bad advice when they see it or when they hear it. You know, teach the word to your children so that they know the difference between truth and, and falsehood. You know, so that they know what is good, what is sinful, what is godly, what is not. You know, know and teach the word to your children so that they know what a godly house looks like, a good home environment, so that they have a good pattern to follow as they become parents with their own children. So we have a description of the godly man in these first couple of verses. Okay, now... Um, 
The rest of the psalm talks about the results, the results of godly living and how that contrasts to the uh, results of sin and rebellion against God. So we see that the uh, Psalm 1 man benefits from his rightness with God. God's blessing is on him. You know, God's, God's favor is, is on the one who lives to please God. It says that he is like a tree planted by a river, planted by streams of water. Now, I, I appreciate this because I grew up in Arizona. You know, it's, it's a very hot and dry place. Kind of feels like that here these last few days. But it's always like that there. And when you're, when you're in the desert, you know, what do you see? Grow? There, there are things that grow there. There are plants that have adapted to that kind of environment. But they're, they're like scrubby, uh, kind of not real attractive plants. You know, they just seem like they're just, they're just hanging on and ready to, to shrivel up and die. But every once in a while, when you're in the desert, you'll see, you'll see a place where there's, there's trees growing and there's bushes and, you know, greenness. These are called riparian areas. And it's where a stream is flowing through the desert. And they're quite remarkable, really. You know, these, these trees, they, they grow on the, on the bank of these streams and they, they benefit from the water. Uh, their, their roots are sent way down deep into the soil to absorb this water. They, they flourish. You know, they, they benefit from the, these life-giving streams. Not only do the roots bring up water and nutrients from the soil, but they also anchor that tree. The deeper the roots, the, the more firmly that tree is set in the soil. Well, the Psalm Man 1 is, is said to be like one of these trees by a stream in a riparian area. He, the, the Psalm 1 Man, like this tree, grows. He's, he's healthy. He's strong. He, he bears fruit, it says. He, he's deeply rooted. He's, he's unmovable. You know, he's, he's not fighting for his life. And dying for for lack of water, you know, he's he's the recipient of God's spiritual promise here. Let's look at Isaiah forty three nineteen through twenty one. It kind of gives a, a picture of this. Isaiah forty three nineteen through twenty one says, "This is God speaking. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert." The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. You know, God gives life. He gives water. He gives, he gives rivers in the desert to, to his people. You know, we see God's grace here. We see his life we see his his spirit and his word bringing life to his people. Now, this psalm ends with a warning. We, we've seen how God's blessing is on those who follow him, who live in right relationship with him in, in his word. But, you know, there are, there are many who are missing out on this blessing. The Psalm 1 man is, is contrasted 
with the ungodly. You know, these, these people we saw in verse 1, who were they? They, they were the, the wicked, the sinners, the, the scoffers. You get the idea in, in verse 1, maybe these, maybe these guys are doing okay, but we see later on in this psalm that they do not prosper. It says the wicked are not so. Yeah, the, the, the wicked are not like that, that tree growing by the streams of water in the desert. They do not benefit from the life of the Spirit. They do not benefit from, from God's word. You know, how, how can they receive blessings and happiness from a God who they, whom they are rebelling against? You know, rather than being like this tree planted by the water, it says that they're like the chaff that, that the wind drives away. We get, a, we get a similar picture to this in Isaiah 5, 20 through 24, where the prophet Isaiah talks about those who, who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, who are wise in their own eyes. This passage in Isaiah, verse 25, 24 says, Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their roots will be as rottenness, their blossom go up like dust, for they've rejected the law of the Lord of the hosts, Lord of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. These are the people the psalmist is talking about. You know, there's no like there's no life in them. They're like the wind that the, or the chaff that the wind blows away. Now, another, another common site in the, the desert of Arizona, maybe they have them in central Washington, I don't know, but, and, and you've seen them in the, the westerns, tumbleweeds. You, you all have a picture of a tumbleweed in your mind, right? It's a, you know, it's a dead plant. It's a bush that has died, and, and it just blows in the wind, this, they're, they're dead plants, you know. They're, they're, they don't really have anything at all to, in common with this uh, well-watered tree in the riparian zone. You know, the ungodly are like chaff. They're like tumbleweeds, you know, no life. They're not good for anything but being blown around in the wind. And this warning continues in the last two verses as the, uh, as the contrast continues between the righteous and the wicked. It says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You know, God judges sin. He'll, he'll judge the wicked, those who rebel, those who uh, re- reject God and, and insist on going their own way. They will not be able to withstand God's judgment. There's a reversal here. Earlier, the sinners were standing what they didn't know was how tenuous their position was. They were, they were self-deceived, thinking that uh, they were strong. But in the judgment, they will fail. They, they will not stand. They will fall before a holy God. You know, their, their self-strength and their pride and their sin will, will be shown to be an affront to God. It will be they who will not stand with the righteousness or with the righteous. Now, the word righteous here is is in the plural. It's talking about the congregation of God's people. 
And the wicked, the sinners, the scoffer will, will have no part in it because they've rejected God. They've gone their own way. Now the last verse says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You know, God's judgment is, is on sin. And we know that we're all sinners. You know, none of us, none of us are, are righteous apart from Jesus Christ who, who died for our sins. You know, those who repent or the, and, and believe in him for salvation will, will stand righteous in the judgment because we have Christ's righteousness. You know, the psalm, the psalm is not telling us we need to be good people and that our good works will, will save us. You know, it's teaching us that the, uh, the life-giving power is from God, it's from his spirit. Jesus in, in John seven thirty seven through 39 said, if, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. You know, it's those who have believed in Jesus for forgiveness of their sins who are like this man that Psalm 1 talks about. It's them, it's they who have been made righteous by him they can partake of this living water, the life-giving spirit. Well, as we close, you know, the Psalm 1 man doesn't take his cues from, from the world. You know, he knows that he's been called to be different. He's, he's been set apart, called to be consecrated to his maker for his use. The Psalm, man, Psalm 1 man lives in proper proper relationship with God. You know, he's the one who abides in Christ and God's word abides in him. He delights in God's word. It's become part of his very fabric of life. You know, he he doesn't just become a, an expert in, in Bible knowledge. He, he hears the word, but he does it. He lives it. Remember, the scribes and Pharisees were such Bible experts. And what did Jesus tell them? He said, you search the scriptures because that you think in them you have eternal life. It is they who bear witness about me, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What does the Psalm man, the Psalm one man encounter in God's word? He encounters Jesus. He encounters life. He, he relies on God's word to give him spiritual nourishment. He bears fruit of the Spirit. This is the very foundation upon which Christian fatherhood rests, being present for your children, modeling a a righteous life and a relationship with God and with God's word. Let's pray. Um, Lord God, help us all. Uh, especially those of us who are fathers to, to live in a way that is righteous before you. Uh, we, we can't do it on our own. We, we know that, Lord. And uh, we're, we're well aware of our, our failures, not only as, as fathers, but as your children. We do thank you, Lord, for making us your children. 
Thank you for your nurturing love. Uh, we, we can only succeed uh, and prosper by putting our trust in you. Only, only then, Lord, can, can we be pleasing to you. Uh, let us, Lord, take delight in your word. As, as Jesus said, your, your word is life. Lord, we want to be like those thriving trees. We want to be fruitful, Lord. We want, let, us deep, let us drink deeply from the living water of, of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who's, who's given to all who believe in Jesus. In whose name, precious and powerful, we pray. Amen.